Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, part of our preaching team. And uh, man, it is great to be able to kick off this series together. Um, and uh, I, so I want to reflect beginning uh, this series on Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is what we just read together. After a long discussion about doctrine and truth and the gospel, uh, here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may be, by testing, may discern what is the will of God, was good and acceptable and perfect. It's pretty cool, you know, in the Greek, uh, which is what the Apostle Paul wrote this in, conformed and transformed didn't rhyme, but it sounds good in English, doesn't it? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The reality is any kind of culture is always trying to conform us into whatever that culture is, right? If you're like a person that's really into fitness, you kind of notice that there's like a fitness sort of culture and it looks a little bit different if you're into Pilates or if you're into bar or if you're into CrossFit, uh, right? Like once you join CrossFit, everyone knows that you're in CrossFit because you started joining the thing, right? And, and there's, other, there's other kind of little subcultures, like maybe you're, maybe you're vegan. And uh, I always wonder if you're vegan and you do CrossFit, what do you lead with? Like, what do you tell people about first? Uh, that feels like a tough decision. Anyway, but there's like subcultures there. Uh, you know, Matthew Brazelton, who's one of our pastors, he's really into Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> Which basically seems like a bunch of people getting high on the beach. Uh, not Matthew, he likes the exercise, but you know, it's a culture. Uh, some of you serve in the military. If you serve in the military, you know the military has a certain culture. Even by real design, they're trying to shape you into a particular, they're trying to conform you, kind of strip away some of your individualism and conform you into a certain thing. And if you're in a different branch of the military, there's different sort of subcultures of that. Uh, whatever you're into, maybe you're into coffee, maybe you're into Dungeons and Dragons, maybe you're into sports, whatever it is, uh, all these sort of subcultures begin to conform you and squeeze you. And, uh, and what we believe as the people of God is that we're not trying to be conformed into any kind of subculture. We're not trying to be conformed into something out in the world. We're not even trying to be conformed into some sort of style of, of Christian. What we want to be is transformed transformed into the image of Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 12, 2 there, by the renewal of our minds. And so what we're doing in this series is we are looking at what would it look like to be not conformed uh, to the culture, but to be transformed more into the image of Jesus. See, I don't need to probably tell you very much that there is this a current of culture that's flowing. And I realize culture is pretty broad, right? I mean, like there's, there's small little subcultures like we just talked about. There's big macro cultures. Like, but there's these currents in the broader culture, the broader secular culture, and, and they're flowing. And if we're not careful, without really realizing it, we kind of just get swept up in the current. And what this, cult, what this series is about is really saying to, to go, how, how do we not do that? How do we see some of these currents and, and, and hold firm to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of the scriptures um, in a way that we know is going to make it where we're kind of running against the grain of culture? So let me tell you about where we're going to go in these next uh, five weeks. In the next, uh, next week, we're going to look at uh, the issue of gender identity. There's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of questions and there's a current running in the culture. We're going to look at that and go, okay, what does the Bible say about that? Uh, the week after that, we're going to look at, at Christian sexuality. What does the Bible say 
is an appropriate and good and life-giving kind of sexuality. That's what we're going to look at in a couple weeks. Then we'll look at the issue of the vulnerable, that God has a, a heart for the least and the last and the lost, that we might in, even in culture see people pay lip service to, but, but God calls us to something pretty significant in that area. We're going to look at the issue uh, the next week about generosity, that in a world of consumerism and materialism and get all you can and spend all you can, and that, that God is actually calling us to be countercultural as his people, living lives of open-handed generosity. And then the last week, we're going to look at salvation. We're going to look at how all of us really, whether we're following an irreligious kind of method or a religious method, are trying to earn salvation, but that the Christian view of salvation is that God gives you salvation. That God saves sinners. So that's, those are the issues. Those are the topics we're going to look at in these, in these next weeks. So uh, some weeks we'll have a particular passage we look at. Other times we're going to look at a number of different passages that, uh, that inform our understanding of that, of that uh, issue. But, uh, but it's going to be serious. It's going to be tense in some points. I think, I think a lot of it will be encouraging. I think a lot of it will be confronting. It's going to challenge us. And so what we want to do today is, is, is kind of just go, okay, what's our approach in this whole thing? Now, before I get into that, let me just tell you a couple things we're going to do along the way to try to just have you have some other resources. Some of you will want to dig deeper. You'll want to go further, uh, more than we can kind of provide in a, in a sermon. And so here's some things we're going to do. Um, each Sunday, we're going to po post a blog post with additional resources. So we did that this morning. Uh, there's additional resources related to cultural engagement. So if you go on our website, gateway.redemptionaz.com, uh, you can find those resources. We'll update that every week with new resources based on whatever the, the sermon topic is. Uh, the second thing is Seth Trout and I have a podcast that we call King and Culture. And every week for the next six weeks, we're going to be recording an episode really as a follow-up to the sermon to go deeper into uh, the issues that we talk about. So I'd encourage you to check that out. That's King and Culture. Um, and then the last thing is an event that we're doing with all of our Redemption Church family. So we're one of 10 congregations that are part of Redemption Church. And on Tuesday, September 21st, uh, we're doing another Inside Redemption Live event. And uh, I'll be kind of helping host it. And it's going to be about the body, sex, and gender identity. So, so specifically that gender identity question, we want to provide more equipping. Uh, we actually have some pastors in our church who have written books, written doctoral dissertations, written things like that about these issues. And so those folks are going to come and they're going to do some additional equipping. Uh, that will be hosted live at Redemption Tempe. It will also be live streamed across uh, YouTube, uh, dot, or YouTube uh, Redemption Church AZ's channel. So uh, we hope you can join in with that. Uh, that might be something that will help you as well. So a lot of different resources in it. But here's something that I really want to make sure you hear. We are not, in all this, we're not trying to be edgy. We're not trying to be controversial. We're, there's no shock jock. Ooh, wait till they hear this. That's just not our heart in this. What we're trying to be is faithful. We want to be faithful. We want to honor God. We want to honor God's word. We want to be loving to a world that desperately needs God and needs the truth of God. And so that's what we're seeking uh, to do. So uh, to that end, let's, let's pray even now for our time as we uh, dive in. Father, thank you that we don't have to just wander and we don't have to wonder what you think about so many important things. You tell us in your word. And so, God, as we go into this series, I pray that you would give us a heart that is clean. Let us be the place you start. 
As Seth said earlier, rather than us trying to look out the window at those people over there who do that, would we look instead at the mirror? Would you search us? Would you clean us? Would you lead us to mercy and repentance? And would you help us be faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, I told you all the things we're going to talk about today. Here's what we're talking about today is how we counter culture. What's our approach as Redemption Church in general and Redemption Gateway in particular? What's our approach to countering culture? Because you could have a lot of similar beliefs about what the Bible says. Uh, what we're talking about today is kind of the, the how. What, what's our posture? What's our attitude? What's our approach as we engage countercultural issues? And, and so I want to share a couple of reasons why this matters, especially because I know there's some of you who are just going like, if you were honest, you, you just would say, hey, Luke, uh, I couldn't care less about any of this. This doesn't matter to me. This isn't important to me. I've got bigger fish to fry, man. I mean, I'm trying to pay my rent, and I'm trying to stay married, and I'm trying to love my kids, and I'm trying to do my job well, and like, I don't, I don't get into the politics stuff and the culture stuff. I just, I don't care. And if that's you, um, praise God, we need more people like you. Uh, honestly, who just are just going to be faithful and plod and not try to get caught up in all sorts of stuff. But here's what I'll tell you. This stuff actually matters. And I'm going to give you a couple reasons why it matters. Uh, number one is that we're in a culture where the church is the visiting team. We're in the cult a culture where the church is the visiting team. There was maybe a time, you could argue, and people do debate, scholars debate, how Christian has America been in its founding what everyone agrees on is it's less Christian than it was. The church is the visiting team. There was a missionary in the 1950s from the UK. His name was Leslie Newbegin, uh, kind of a short little guy. And he headed to India to be a missionary. And he left in the 50s and uh, spent a number of decades there in India, learning the culture, uh, being a missionary, sharing the good news of Jesus. He comes back to the UK in the 80s and he goes, oh my goodness. The UK has become a mission field. Now, what everyone will say is that, is that Europe culturally is ahead of where the US is, right? So Europe's been post-Christian for a while. Now you're hearing more and more people talk about how America is sort of post-Christian. And, and the thing is, some of us don't notice it because we're like that frog that just gets slowly cooked in the water. But the reality is, if you left... And you went to India 30 years ago and you came back to America, right now you'd go, oh my gosh, this is really different. Right? At best right now, we just lack credibility as, as the church. People don't trust us. They think we have an agenda. They think, eh, I don't know, you guys seem kind of irrelevant. I, like at best, we lack credibility. At worst, we're seen as oppressive. We're seen as the cause for so much suffering and so much hurt and so much abuse and so much narrow-mindedness and so much of those things, right? So that's the situation we're in. And, and the question we have to ask ourselves as the people of God is, how are we going to engage with that? Because Jesus doesn't give us permission to just not engage. We're called to be missionaries. He, he tells us, as, I, as I've been sent, you're sent into the world. So, so this is an important question. The second reason that this is important is that so much of the division that's taken place over the last few years in churches, in the church broadly, in individual churches, so much of the division is over how you approach culture. It's been fascinating. You have Christians who would agree to the same doctrinal statement. They'd go, 
I believe God created the world. I believe Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe Jesus died for our sins. I believe Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe Jesus ascended the Father. I believe Jesus sent his spirit. I believe he's coming back, blah, 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 blah. Yes, 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 yes. And yet dividing like crazy. Over what? Over how we approach cultural stuff. So just think of these phrases. Colin Kaepernick. Hashtag me too. George Floyd. Mask mandates. Safe spaces. Critical race theory. Donald Trump. Joe Biden. Are you uncomfortable yet? Right, isn't it crazy? I mean, didn't you just feel that? Like it just like you just felt yourself getting tense and you felt yourself getting nervous and you felt yourself going, oh no, where's this going? I thought we were on the rails. It feels like now we're going off the rails. Right? And what are all those things? None of those things are doctrine things, they're culture things. And, and Christians can have wildly different opinions about those things, uh, but even you have people who have the same basic views of it and yet dividing over the approach that you take and how hard to fight and how much to accommodate and all those sorts of things. And so that's why this matters is we're in a, a, a culture where we're called to be faithful missionaries and these issues have the potential to really damage us and divide us. And so what we want to do in this, in this series is really just go, and even today in this message, is just to kind of put our cards on the table and go, here's, what, here's the way we approach this. Here's how we're doing this. Here's how we handle this. Here's what drives us. So I want to begin, I guess, with uh, some biblical truths that direct our approach, some biblical truths that direct our approach. The first one is this. Humanity is created in God's image and called to be culture makers. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, we see that man and woman are made in the image of God and they are called to cultivate the earth and to subdue it, to take all the raw material that God has put in the Garden of Eden and cultivate it. What they're to do is to turn it into culture. So get this, the structure of God's original creation is that culture was good. It was part of what you did as an image bearer of God. You made culture. You were fruitful and multiplied. You filled the earth and subdued it. You had dominion over the fish and over the birds and over all these things. And so culture is this inherently good thing because we're made in the image of God. But here's what we see is that sin changed and distorted the direction of these culture-making efforts. When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, everything gets twisted. Everything gets broken. Everything gets shifted. Where the structure is still good, but the direction is distorted in a new way. So Genesis 11 is a great example of this. Genesis 11 is the building of the Tower of Babel. They were, rather than, than being fruitful and multiplying and fill the earth, they decide, well, we're just going to stay here. And they uh, subdue it, but they subdue it to make a name for themselves. So they build a culture, they build a city, but they... They do it in a distorted way. Sin changes and distorts the direction of our culture-making efforts. Fast-forwarding in the story, Jesus comes. He's the incarnate God. He is God 
in the flesh. And he is Lord over all the earth. The scriptures declare that he made everything, that by him all things exist, that everything is for his glory, that there is not one part of all of creation over which Jesus isn't king. He's the king above all kings, which means that even though the culture wants to say, hey, 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 just keep your faith private. We don't serve a private God. We serve a public God. He's God over everything. And so we have to be wise about how we publicly live our faith, but we publicly live our faith because Jesus is Lord of all, amen? What are we called to be as the people of God? Well, we're called to seek the good of our cities. There's an incredible place in Jeremiah 29 where the people of Israel are exiled to Babylon, right? The biblical example of godlessness and idolatry. And what are they told to do there in Jeremiah 29? Seek the welfare of Babylon. Wow. Called to seek the good of their cities. Loving our neighbors and our enemies. Matthew 5.16 says we should be shining the light of good works. And Acts 1 says we should bear witness to the lordship of Christ. And so this is who we're to be. We're to seek the good of all people, even the people who reject our God, even the people who oppress and abuse us. We're to love our neighbors. We're to love our enemies. We're to do our good works in such a way, let our light shine so that people see it and they give glory not to us, but to him because we're bearing witness to the lordship of Christ. Get this, Jesus nowhere commands us as the people of God to transform the culture. Jesus does say, you will be my witnesses. We're gonna be the ones saying, Jesus is great. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is forgiving. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is worth giving your whole life to. And we're not responsible for the results. We're just responsible to bear witness. And that's good because next, following Jesus will often put us at odds with common cultural practices. Essentially, there's a story in Acts chapter 19 where Paul has been preaching and teaching in Ephesus for like two years. And Ephesus was the home of this giant temple to Artemis. And uh, the temple, I've I've actually got to see it. I I went to Ephesus a few years ago. And when you go there, you realize it was one of the seven uh, archaeological wonders of the ancient world, this temple to Artemis of the Ephesians. Well, so many people meet Jesus that they start getting rid of all their little Artemis statues and the silversmiths in Ephesus are like, we got a huge problem and a riot breaks out because so many people have changed. There's a conflict between the gods of the world and the gods and the God that we serve in Jesus. The next biblical truth that directs our approach is that we are called to be more critical of ourselves than of outsiders. Seth talked about this a moment ago in 1 Peter, that the judgment begins with the household of God. But in 1 Corinthians 5, the apostle Paul says, listen, my job's not to judge the outsiders who are doing stuff. I'm trying to help the church be holy. I'm trying to help the church be pure. And so as we go through this series, we gotta really keep this in mind. This is about not throwing stones out there. It's about asking God to give us repentance here. And then finally, Only when Christ returns will things truly be made new. Like, listen, we're going to have little pockets. We're going to have little moments. We're going to have stories and we're going to have testimonies and we're going to have times when we go, man, the kingdom of heaven broke in. 
and this person's life has changed, and this community gets changed, and this thing happens. But widespread change and transformation, Jesus is going to have to come back for that. And so our call isn't to change the world. Our call is to bear witness to the one who can. And so here's what I want to do in the rest of the time that we have here together is I want to say, okay, so at Redemption Church in general, at Redemption Gateway in particular, here's how we are countering culture. And, and, and now this is important. It, through all the history of the church, there's been lots of different approaches to how churches have engaged with culture. And what's fascinating is no one approach has kind of won the day. There's lots of different approaches because cultures are really different and churches are different and these, these things. So, so here's what I want to tell you. There are churches who approach things differently than we do, and that's okay. We're not here to critique them. We're not here to evaluate them. We're just here to go, here's what we're doing. And so you, to the degree that you, that you resonate with the stuff that I'm going to share with you in a minute, you're going to really, when we engage with cultural stuff, you're going to go, yes, I love this. To the degree that you think, man, I wish we would do it differently. When we engage on cultural stuff, you're going to be frustrated. So if some of you, some of you maybe have been frustrated, and some of you have been like, man, I really love what this church is about, how it feels. What I'm going to try to do today is go, here's why. Here's why you love it. Here's why you're frustrated by it. Let's, let's get the cards on the table and let's say, here's what we're trying to be when we think about engaging culture. Here's the first thing, is that we will counter culture by creating new culture. First, we're going to counter culture by creating new culture. There's a really helpful book on culture uh, called Culture Making. It's by Andy Crouch, and he tells a really uh, kind of interesting story. He says, you know, in the fall, uh, you know, the weather starts to get cooler, he, you know, <laughs> other places, you know. So. Uh, he says, in the fall, you know, things start to cool off, and I love to make chili, which, by the way, the chili cook-off's coming back this year. Redemption Gateway. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. So uh, he says, you know, I like to get the skillet going and get the pot going and, and get the onions and get the peppers and get the tomatoes and get the ground beef sizzling and let this chili cook for a little while. And I love how the aroma fills the house and I love how it tastes a little bit spicy, but it's just really kind of warming on a cool fall day. The problem is I serve it to my kids and they hate it. Right? Anybody else have uh, kids who like hate chili? And, uh, right, and, and, and so he goes, okay, I'm creating a piece of culture. I'm creating a cultural artifact called a meal of chili. How are my kids going to engage with this chili that they don't really like? Well, one is they could just consume it. Go, well, I'm just going to eat it. Mom and dad told me to. A few of you have a firstborn that might do that, but that's basically not going to happen. I mean, let's be honest. They're not going to just eat it, right? So, so that is one option. You can just consume it. Go, I don't, this probably isn't best for me. I don't really like this, but I'm just going to eat it. The second option is that they could just throw a huge fit and condemn it. I refuse. I will not eat this. Right? And that is probably what they will do, actually. And then you got to figure out, well, how, about, how much am I going to fight this? Right? They're going to protest. They're going to condemn the chili. Maybe the older ones, they're going to get a little more sophisticated, and they're not going to consume it, and they're not going to condemn it. They're going to critique it. They're going to say, well, you know what? The, the acidity in the peppers just really isn't great for my stomach, and uh, maybe if we had used 
turkey instead of ground beef. It just wouldn't be so fatty and it wouldn't keep me up at night. And, and so it's a little more sophisticated, but it's still just going to critique it. But what can the kids do if they want to change the chili culture? They have to create their own meal. That's what they have to do. They could say, Dad, I don't really like this. Give me the skillet. And the dad might go, okay, that's great. That's fine. We're just not having chicken nuggets. Go for it. Right? But that's the reality. If you want a different meal, you can't just go, I hate this meal. You can't even with real sophistication go, well, I don't, here's what could be better about it. You've got to make your own meal. You've got to start doing the cooking. You've got to create some culture of yourself. And so often what we forget as, as, as the Christians who don't really like the, the chili that the world's serving, I mean, some of us aren't thinking about it, we're just wolfing it down. That's a problem. Others of us, we're just getting real angry about the chili and we protest. Other of us, we have lots of sophisticated reasons why we're not like the culture. We're going to be people who just create a new culture. In our little sphere, in our little pocket, and I get it, we don't have power over Wall Street, we don't have power over Hollywood, we don't have power over all these different places that form culture, we don't have power over Silicon Valley, but in the places where we have influence, we're going to just create a better culture. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to be. What, what is culture? Culture is the combination of beliefs and practices and values and attitudes and structures. That, that's what that is. And, and so here's what we're going to be as the people of God at Redemption Gateway is we're going to just try to create a better subculture, a better counterculture. Say, you know what? If you want to see how God really made us to live, come on in. That's what we're going to do. We're going to say, you know what? We're going to have relationships of honesty and grace. We're going to quit pretending with each other. We're going to quit kind of doing this phony niceness. And we're going to be truly honest and truly gracious. We're going to be forgiving. We're going to walk with one another. That's what we're going to be. We're going to be people who pursue joyful marriages, husbands and wives who delight in one another who reject the cultural story of ball and chain and it just gets bad and blah, 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 blah. We're, no, we're going to create a different culture. We're going to go a different direction. How about this? We're going to create a culture of low fear parenting. Can you even imagine such a thing? Right in a world that says you got to be afraid of everything, you got to be anxious about everything, you got to be worried about everything. We're going to go, no. We're going to be wise, we're going to be discerning, but we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to be a culture of knit together friendship where we love one another deeply and we build kind of thick bonds of connection and community that, that are knit together in such a way that just one little pull on a strand can't break us apart. And we're going to have some, some strength and some elasticity and some ability to adapt and to bend because that's the kind of friendships we're going to pursue. We're going to be a people who work creatively for the common good, who use the gifts and the skills that God has given us in the jobs that he's provided for us to be able to reflect him and imitate him and honor him and show the world what it looks like when a person filled with the spirit of God is doing the job they're created to do. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be a people of generosity, generous with our time, generous with our money, generous with our effort, generous with our energy. In a world that's always just trying to hoard it and don't ask me for anything, we're going to be generous. 
we're going to be. We're going to create a culture of patience where we walk with each other through the good and through the bad and we give each other time to change where you don't have to be perfect where you don't have to get everything right or the relationship's on the line. No. We're going to create a culture of thankfulness and gratitude and honor. We're going to have a culture of self-giving love. I mean, isn't that sound better? Like that's how we're going to counter culture is not just to condemn it and not just to critique it, but to actually create something more beautiful. So that's the first thing we're going to do. The second way that we will counter culture as redemption is by seeking to be a transformed and transforming presence. To be a transformed and transforming presence. Now this, uh, this phrase, to be a transformed and transforming presence, this comes from uh, my counselor. I have a counselor that I started working with in 2015. I had heard for years that you should have a counselor, but I don't need counseling. I got it together. Then I went on a sabbatical, and someone was like, hey, you know, I went on a sabbatical, and it was really helpful to have this guy walk with me through some stuff and walk my wife through some stuff. And so about six years ago, uh, Molly and I started meeting with this guy, Jim Cofield. He started he, he called it coaching because he knew senior pastors don't want to be in counseling. You know, leaders don't want to be in counseling. They, they want to be in coaching. So he calls it coaching. But I call it counseling because that's what it is. And here's what he told me through that sabbatical and now almost every time I talk to him since. Here's what he says. He says, Luke, the greatest gift you can give your church. Luke, the greatest gift you can give your wife. Luke, the greatest gift you can give your kids is your transformed and transforming presence. That's the best gift. He goes, listen, if you go into a staff meeting and you've got a great plan, but you're anxious and you're nervous and you're insecure and you're worried, guess what you're going to hand off to the staff? Anxious, worry, insecure, doesn't matter what your words are saying. Your presence is what actually transforms people, right? When you sit with someone who's godly, who's been with God, who's enjoyed the presence of God, it, it, it heals you. It changes you. It transforms you. And so, so this is what we're called to be, is a transformed and transforming presence. What that means is that we're going to have to be repenting. Because you don't transform into the image of Jesus without giving up some sin. And so when we look in the mirror and we go, you know what, I'm actually way more influenced by the culture's approach to sexuality than I thought. I'm way more influenced by the culture's value of wealth than I thought. I'm, I'm way more influenced by my own ability from the culture to kind of earn stuff and make something of myself. When, when we find that, we have to repent. We have to turn. We have to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And here's the thing. As we do that, we change. And we're different. And our ability to create a counterculture depends on God changing us. All right, here's the third thing. Spend a little more time on this is that we will counter culture as incarnational witnesses. 
counterculture is incarnational witnesses. One of the articles that we posted, uh, if you want to dig deeper into the resources, is an article by uh, Gregory Thompson. And uh, in it, he, he really helpfully sort of describes uh, four different postures that the church can take when it comes to engaging with culture. So we've got this kind of current of culture. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to engage with it? And he says there's a number of different things you can do. Uh, one common approach is what he calls fortification. Fortification. And in uh, fortification, uh, what you see is that the church must protect itself from the threats of the broader culture. Fortification. The church must protect itself from the broader culture. In other words, you go, hey, the Bible calls us to be faithful. The Bible calls us to avoid idolatry. The Bible calls us to stand firm for God. And there's this broader cultural current. It's trying to sweep us up and we need to fortify. We need to protect ourselves. We need to get away from it. Now, the good part of this approach is that you take the Bible's warnings really seriously. You go, hey, the world really can corrupt you. But the bad part of the fortification thing is what you start to do is you start to treat the world as enemies. And so now you're afraid and now you're anxious. And I realize some, some people want that to be what church feels like. So I've, I've had people come to me before and say, Luke, you know, the thing is, is like when I'm out there all week, like everywhere I look, they're talking about what's going on in the culture. And I just really wish when I come to church, I could just have a break from it. Like I just, I just want church to be a place where I don't have to think about that stuff. And uh, what I've tried to lovingly say is, it sounds like what you're saying is, that some of life is all for Jesus. But what we believe is that all of life is all for Jesus. And we're not going to create a fort where we just avoid what's going on in the world. We can't do that. A second approach is not fortification. It's kind of the opposite. It's accommodation. Accommodation. And this approach that many people in the church over time have taken is the church must be relevant by joining forces with the culture. So the problem is we're not relevant enough. The problem is we're not meeting enough of the church of the world's needs. The problem is uh, we, we need to do more to help the, the world understand that we care about them and that we know them and that we meet their needs. And, and if we just looked a little more like the world, then we could have more opportunity to make a difference. And uh, the good part of that is that it demonstrates compassion. It demonstrates a concern for, for people. The bad part is when you take it too far, what happens is the church just becomes indistinct and it becomes just as idolatrous as the world. Everybody knows, everybody knows that studies this, that when a church begins to go theologically liberal, denying the sufficiency of scripture, denying the deity of Jesus, denying that there's one way to be saved, denying Christian sexuality, on and on and on. When a church goes theologically liberal, they die. Why? Because after a little while, people start to go, I don't need this. I, get, I can get this anywhere. The whole world's filled with this. I don't need to go to that. And so, so one extreme is we're going to protect ourselves from the world and be totally kind of fortified the other approach is we're going to be just like the world. We're going to do everything they do. We're going to love it the way they love it. And you won't be able to tell the difference. A third approach that Thompson highlights is, I think, more common today. It's the approach of domination. 
It's kind of like the first one, right? In that it views the, the, the world as a threat, but rather than a threat to kind of fortify yourself against, it's a threat to conquer. And so in this approach, the church, what they really need to do, what the church needs to do is triumph over cultural threats, get this, especially through politics. Now, the good part of this is that if you take this approach, you're, you're not withdrawing from culture. You're engaging in culture. And hopefully you're seeking to try to be faithful about the truth. The, the downside is this domination posture, it's very aggressive. Where your goal is not to love your neighbors and win your neighbors, it's to crush your neighbors, defeat your neighbors, own your neighbors. Ooh, I put them in their place. Is that what Jesus said? They'll know you're my disciples by the way you own the libs. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you let them have it. That's not what he said. So what's another approach? It's not fortification. It's not accommodation. It's not domination. What if it was this? What if it was incarnation? Incarnation. This is what Jesus did. Jesus is God, and he puts on flesh, and he lives among us. And the fascinating thing about incarnation is if we are incarnating into the culture, that means we will go into the culture. We will learn to speak its language. We will understand its values. Think about this. Jesus didn't come as a generic man. He came as a, as a Jewish man in a specific time, in a specific culture, with specific values. Now, the, the good news of that is according to Genesis 12, the descendant of, of Abraham would eventually bless the whole world. But the reality is Jesus came into a culture. He spoke Hebrew. He didn't speak Japanese. He didn't speak English. But he came into a culture, into a time, and he could speak that culture, and he could understand that culture. And this is so much of Jesus' ministry. This is Jesus going, hey, a farmer, you know, plowed a field and planted some seed, and here's what happened. And a man had two sons, and Jesus is just speaking the language, but he's also at the same time confronting it. He's saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And this is incarnation, right? So, so if we take this approach, here's what we'll do, is we'll go into the culture, we'll speak the language, we'll understand the way people think, and here's what we gotta do, is we gotta be good enough at articulating how people think and how people feel, so good at it that it's not a straw man where they're like, I don't even believe what you're saying I believe, but we actually could articulate what they believe in a way that would make them go, wow, you really understand. And at the very same time, we bear witness to Jesus. And say, I know you think this will fulfill you. I know you think this is what will give you freedom. I know this is what you think will give you life. It won't. Jesus will. He's the king. He's beautiful. He's glorious. He died to make you his. Holding these things together. Incarnating. Going into the culture. Speaking its language proclaiming the beauty of Christ. Now, here's the reality of these four options. This is the hardest. It's just way easier to go, retreat! Christian bubble, everybody. 
It's also way easier to just go, oh, never mind, you know. I'll just be like the world. I'll quit fighting. <clears throat> this is harder. I mean, this requires real spiritual wisdom, doesn't it? Because you're going in the world, you're going, okay, there's some stuff that I for sure have to reject. There's other stuff that I can totally receive. That's a good gift of God. There's other stuff I'm not quite sure. You got to navigate it. How do I approach this? What do I do? This? Do I let my kids? How do I, right? There's wisdom. Here's another reason it's really hard is that you'll often be misunderstood. You'll often be misunderstood. People will go, oh, you're too soft. No, you're too hard. You're too conservative. No, you're too liberal. <clears throat> you'll often, I mean, just people will never be able to pin you down. And that will frustrate them in a world that has to be able to pin you down. And so you'll be constantly misunderstood. People think, man, if you really cared, you would do more. And other people will say about the very same thing, I can't believe you're doing all that. You, got, you went way too far. You'll be misunderstood. And here's the other challenge, is the culture will often still win. I mean, think about it. Jesus came, he incarnated, and they killed him. And what did Jesus say? He said, a servant's not greater than his master. If they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So if you got to win, this is not the path for you. Because this is the path of losing much of the time. And in so doing, you bear witness to the glory and the fellowship of Christ's suffering. It's a hard road to walk. I think it's the, the road of faithfulness. Here's the fourth way that we're going to counter culture as redemption. Number four, we will counter culture with cheerful conviction. We're going to counter culture with cheerful conviction. And I know the word cheerful just sounds too annoying. It sounds too hallmark. It sounds too chipper. It sounds too uh, trite. But, but we, we just have way too much hope to be grumpy all the time, to be bickering all the time. Uh, Molly and I um, are celebrating our 20th anniversary uh, in December. And uh, thank you. Obligatory applause is always appreciated. Uh, no, thank you. I trust that was sincere applause. Anyway, um, but we, uh, that's December. October, we're going to New York City. We've been saving up for years, and uh, we've never been to the city together, and we want to go, and um, and we got tickets like before all the prices went crazy and you know, all of that. But, uh, but you know, with everything going on with Delta variant and, and, and the city like New York, especially, you know, a few weeks ago, Molly was like, listen, buddy, I really want to go on this trip. I do not want to hear you whine the whole time we're there about these masks. Listen, if you're going to just whine and complain, I don't want to go. Like, we'll book a trip to Florida or somewhere else. <laughs> but, like, if you're going to just be a little whiny brat, let's make different plans. Praise God for a woman who will <laughs> encourage her husband like that. Because, I, I mean, I don't, no one likes the mask. I don't want to wear a mask all week. I don't want to do it. And uh, so I said, well, let me think about it. <laughs> this is going to 
Because I, you know, Florida sounds good, you know. Uh, but I, I, I went back and I said, okay, we'll do it. I'll do it. I'll be, I'll be a good boy. I, you know, have a good attitude. But, but isn't, that the, isn't that the thing? Like, why would we be the grouchy, grumpy, gripey people? I mean, did Jesus rise from the dead? Is he coming back? Are all our sins forgiven? Do we have relationship with the God who made us and a wisdom from his word about how to live and how to thrive? Do we have a promise that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he'll be with us? Then cheer up, right? This is what we're to be, right? And the, and, and the, and the chipper part is like imagining that it won't really hurt, but it really will. And still, we're just, we're called to be cheerful, to be joyful, right? The, the picture I have is, is like, you know that clown, that, cl- that like inflatable clown that you punch and it's like, right? You punch it again, right? That's what we're to be, right? The world is like, you're dumb, you're bigoted. We don't understand you, we don't like you. Right, that's just what we're, and, and listen, and I realize that, sound, that can sound real trite. Some of us, listen carefully, some of us will lose our jobs because of our Christian faith. Some of us will have relationships end because of our faith. I fully, I, I honestly believe before I die, I'll be imprisoned for something I say. And so I'm not minimizing what's at stake and what it could cost. I'm saying even in the midst of that, let's be joyful. Let's be buoyant. Let's let's be winsome. We're not going to gripe about the culture. We're not going to bicker and fight with other Christians and other churches about how they don't do it right. We're not going to have to win every argument. And we're not going to compromise. Well, why? Because we have the Lord. I was listening years ago to this message by Matt Chandler. He was talking about the resilience of the Apostle Paul. It's always stuck with me. You know, you think about the Apostle Paul and how much he suffered Right? He was shipwrecked three times. One of those times, he's shipwrecked, ends up on an island, gets, beat, gets bitten by a snake. I mean, aren't you at that point going like, God, I'm trying to do your work here, man. Right? He's beaten within an inch of his life. He's left for dead. They're like, well, we're going to kill you. He's like, to die is gain. They're like, well, then we're going to keep you alive. He's like, to live is Christ. Like, well, we'll put you in prison. Great, I'm gonna sing a bunch of songs and convert all the guards. Well, we're gonna torture you. Well, you know what? The weight of glory that's to come is way more than the surpassing, you know? It's just, like you couldn't keep him down. And it wasn't like he didn't really suffer, but he's going, my joy is not in this world. It's in Christ. So, so, so listen, friends, over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about some important and difficult stuff. As I said earlier, uh, some of it will encourage you, a lot of it will confront and challenge you. And, and we want to make clear 
where we stand, I believe that, that clarity is a form of love. Say, so here's where we are in these things. But this is not about where we stand as much as it's about how we stand. And we stand to know Jesus, to follow him, to pursue him, to show the world a better way. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and mercy to a sinner like me. God, please uh, help us. Help us to be faithful. Help us to trust you. Help us to examine ourselves. And God, help us to have joy. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the victory that he won. And thank you for the hope that it gives us. We pray in his name. Amen.